Hey, um, if you drive, you're probably guilty of DWDs, okay? And some of you are trying to figure out if you've ever had a DWD before. You probably haven't. It's driving while distracted. Now, we've kind of talked about this throughout this series. There are things that we do while we're driving that distract us. Uh, texting and driving, which, by the way, is illegal. Um, being on your phone while you're, you're driving is a distraction. Uh, putting on makeup. Shaving. Some of you shave when you're doing that. I don't know how you do that, but you do that. Maybe you're eating a meal. Uh, maybe you're looking at the scenery or, or weather or changing the music. As I told you the very first week, two times I have looked in someone's car and they've been driving and reading a book, and I don't know how they've done that. Or maybe you're just tired, right? You're just worn out and, and you're tired. And so we, we drive often when we are distracted. And of course, some of these, again, are punishable by law. But, but it's like at the, at the right moment when we need it most, when we are the most distracted when we're driving, we hit those rumble strips. And we hit those rumble strips and they're a warning to us that, hey, buddy, you're veering off the road and you need, to, you need to pull yourself back so you can go on the path that you're supposed to be on. Well, today we are going to finish up this series called Rumble Strips, and we've been talking about these warning signs when it comes to our marriages. And so as we talk about this today, as we finish this series, uh, we're going to look at another one of these, these rumble strips that we need to be aware of. And, and we're going to call these MWDs, okay? Married while distracted. And so over the next few moments, we're going to talk about some distractions that we can find in marriage. Because here's the deal. If you're out of the honeymoon stage, you're in year 3, 7, 12, 40, all of those biblical numbers. If you're in one of those years or anywhere in between, you are probably have been in a marriage that has been distracted. And maybe you've dealt with it or, or you're in the midst of those distractions right now. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these different MWDs as we talk this morning. Then I'm going to give you a couple of questions to ask yourself if this is kind of the distraction that you're, you're in the midst of or, or maybe struggling with. And then I'm going to give you a next step. So very, very practical as we finish this series today. Hey, listen to me. If you are single and you're like, why am I here? Because we're talking about marriage. I'm not married. Maybe marriage is something for your future. There are going to be nuggets we're going to talk about that I know that you can use in relationships now, but you're also going to be able to use when marriage, if marriage is something you want to do, when marriage comes in the future. And so I'm looking forward to sharing with you this morning. Here's the first one. MWD number one, and I've kind of combined a few of these because we've talked about a couple of these uh, the very first week. Kids, work, and finances. Kids, work, and finances. Let's talk about kids for a second. We're called to care for them to feed them, to love, love them, to clothe them, to protect them. But as I said in the very first week, many times our kids can become the focus of our, our marriage. Uh, for instance, I, I've talked to some of you, you have young kids, uh, I've heard conversations that have been going on and, and you've talked about how tough it is because the, these kids, they're, they're little and they just need everything from you, right? They, they need your time, they, they need your food, uh, they need your care. And, and so you're like, we, we just don't have time for each other. Look, been there. I've done that. I've cleaned up the explosive diarrhea just like you have. It's hard when you have kids, but it's so important that in a marriage relationship, you're finding time for each other. Because if you're not finding time for each other, your kids can easily become a distraction. And here's the deal. Those little kids, <laughs> they become big kids. 
and you think things change, that doesn't change. They still need your time. They eat a lot more food and they need your care and your love. They can just talk to you and have a conversation, which sometimes is good and many times it's not. But kids can become a distraction. Are your kids a distraction to your marriage? So about work. Uh, sometimes I think people work just so they can be distracted from their marriage. Because of what's happening in the marriage, they just don't want to be there. So they work, they work a lot more. They work long hours. Now, maybe for you, that's just your work. It's just long hours. You got to work on vacation. It's all hours. Again, if we're not careful, work can become a distraction in, in our marriage. And then there's finances. One of the leading causes of divorce is financial stress. And that if you look at divorce, financial stress comes up more and more in that relationship. Now, maybe it's all about control. Someone is trying to control everything when it comes to the money. Maybe it's just about the financial stress. It's, it's medical bills, it's, it's debt, it's expenditures. But if we're not careful, again, finances can become a distraction to our marriage. I love this verse in the Old Testament. Exodus 23 says, you must not have any other God but me. Here's God who's telling the Israelites, hey, here's the deal. And we talked about this in week one. I am priority number one for you. That I need to be your focus. And so we talked about how God should be our focus and how our spouse should be that second part of, of those priorities, that second level of our priorities. And yet often we find these other things get in the way. Now, I'm not saying kids are a bad thing, okay? They're an incredible, incredible blessing. Uh, I love that, that we have jobs, which is a gift. And it's kind of nice when you have to worry about your finances because you actually have finances to worry about. But sometimes these things can become so much more important than the marriage itself. Are we putting our kids, our work, and our finances ahead of our spouse? If this is you, a couple questions for you to answer. Here's the first question. Are our kids, and this is you asking the question to yourself, are our kids, my work, our finances becoming more important than our marriage? And if so, why? Question two, what are two things I can do this week to begin to make my marriage more important? Two things you can do this week to make your marriage more important. Now here's next steps for you. Go find three other married couples who have been married for many years and ask them to tell you how they made sure their marriage relationship came before kids, work, or finances. And if you're like, I don't know anybody that fits that bill, hey, email me, find me. We've got plenty of people here at The Journey who have been married many, many years, and they'd love to just share with you what that has looked like for them. But make sure you go find those three married couples and ask them those questions. All right? MWD, number one, kids, work, finances. Here's MWD number two, past relationships. Our past relationships, and I'm talking specifically here about romantic relationships, can become a distraction to our marriage. Uh, for example, as a pastor, sadly, I get a front row seat many times to divorce. And I know from hearing stories of how tough, and hard and the toll, toll that, uh, that divorce has taken on a, a family and, and individuals. Uh, that, that hurt and that, that pain that's there can, can run pretty deep. And so I'll, I'll be in a conversation with this person who's divorced and, and they'll talk about how, hey, you know, I, I'm going to take some time for me. I, I'm going to get the healing that I need. I, I, need to, I need to work on some stuff inside of me. And as a pastor, I'm like, that's amazing. 
take that time, be patient, get the healing that you need. And they're like, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Three weeks later, I'm on Facebook and it's Facebook official. This this person who just said, hey, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to make sure I'm good to go. Uh, On Facebook, they're in this relationship with someone else. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, what are you doing? Why didn't you take the time that you needed to, to get the healing and to work through this the way that you need to work through it? Is any wonder when we look at statistics for second marriages, the divorce rate is 67% and for third marriages, it's 75%. And the question is, why does this happen? And I would bet you almost every single time you have someone or a group of people, a couple of people who have not worked through those past relationships that they've had. And those past relationships are still a distraction in their marriage today. Now, now I know I'm using divorce as an example, but I'm talking about any kind of past romantic relationship. If you've had unhealthy relationships, they're always going to be a distraction in your marriage. But again, why? Why does this happen? Why is this the case? It's because we've never dealt with those experiences. We've never dealt with that pain. We've never dealt with that hurt. We've never dealt with that abuse. We've never dealt with that neglect. And what we think is, if I get into this new relationship and I'm with this new person, everything's going to be better. And all those things from my past, they're going to go away. Now, maybe you have really met the most incredible person in the world. Maybe they're great. Maybe they're perfect for you. But too often we look at them and we almost see them as our savior. Like this person has come into my life to save me from this past. But here's what I will tell you. If you have not dealt with that past relationship in healthy ways, I don't care how wonderful and amazing this new person is, you're still going to find that past relationship in your current marriage. How do we kind of find this play out? Well, I think it's in some feelings and emotions. And we read about these in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 31. Here's what Paul writes. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, Paul's writing these words to this particular group of Christians, and he's like, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, there are certain things you've got to get rid of. And and here's some things you can put in its place. So that's the context of what we're reading here. But as I read through this list, it kind of hits me. When I think about people I know that have had past relationships, romantic relationships that have, have not been good, these emotions and feelings seem to be a part of that person's life if they've never dealt with it. Again, look at what Paul writes here. He says bitterness. The Greek word used for bitterness here is long-standing resentment. This is a resentment that's always there. We're just not getting rid of this bitterness. Aristotle put it this way. He said bitterness is the resentful spirit which refuses reconciliation. Some of us carry bitterness from the past. Then he talks about rage. Uh, Then he uses the word anger. The Greek word here used for anger is anger that has become habitual. I I get it. Once you come out of a relationship like that, I I think anger is probably not unhealthy. But here's the question. Is that anger habitual? 
Do we, do we continue to hold on to that anger over time? And maybe for some of us, we do. Then he talks about harsh words. The Greek word here for harsh words is four-letter words. Totally joking on that one. That's not really what it says. But <laughs> it says harsh words. And some of us know we've used those four-letter words describing that person, even though this relationship may have been years in the past. For some of us, we still hold on to that. Slander. The Jews called slander the sin of insult. I'm guessing if you've never dealt with your past relationships, there's a lot of slander that continues to come out of your mouth. And then other evil behavior here. Again, as I look at this, this list that Paul talks about, and I think about the conversations I've had with people who have gotten into a new relationship and they haven't dealt with the past relationships, there's still a lot of this there. Again, these emotions, these feelings, these, these actions that, that, that we take. And yet, here's what Paul says. He says, if you're a follower of Christ, you should get rid of those things and you should be kind. You should be tender-hearted. He means be compassionate. You should be forgiving. And oh, I love this part because he says, oh, just like Jesus Christ or God has, has forgiven you. For some of us, these are the steps, this is the stage we need to be in when it comes to these past relationships. And so if this is your distraction, here's a couple of questions for you. Question number one, how are my past relationships affecting my present marriage? If you begin to think back about your past romantic relationships, how are they affecting your marriage right now? Question number two, after reading Ephesians 4, what do I need to let go of or work on because of my past relationships that are hurting my marriage today. When you look at that list, are you like, yep, that's me, that's me, that's not me, that's not me, oh, that's definitely me. Like there may be some things you need to work on through that. Which then leads me to our, our next step, and uh, this is something we talk about a lot here. We've been talking about this throughout this whole series. It's going to counseling. It's having someone sit down with you and help you work through those past romantic relationships because if you have not dealt with them, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be in every single relationship you have. Then why not go ahead and work on those now? There's an email address there, office at thejourneynova.org. If you email us, just put safe harbor in the, or counseling in the subject line, and we will get you connected and hopefully get you the help you need as soon as possible. But because for some of us, our distractions are past relationships. Here's MWD number three, expectations. I've actually uh, talked about expectations a couple of times when, when we've done marriage series, only because I don't think we really think about them, because I believe expectations are a huge distraction in many marriages. And we really need to understand what expectations we bring into the marriage and, and even where our spouse is, is coming from. Now, uh, let me explain what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've been here before when I've done this, I've had a table up here and like four or five boxes, and uh, talk about how each box represents a, a part of, of us, right? And, and so before we get married, we have a, a box that's our box of desires. E each person comes into marriage, and, and they have this, this box of desires that they're carrying actually down the aisle. Now, what's the, that box of desires? It's, it's your dreams, it's your hopes, it's your wishes for, for this, this marriage that you're coming into. Now, where do those desires come from? It could be something internal. 
Uh, it could be something that's been taught to us over time. Uh, it could be because we watched a bunch of rom-coms. Uh, it could be from a podcast, reading a book, whatever it may be. And so, so you come into your marriage and you've got this box of desires that you're walking down the aisle. Well, then you get married. And that box of desires, it changes. It moves from this box of desires to now, this is my box of expectations. And so what I'm doing now is I'm bringing these expectations into the marriage. And you know what I'm doing with those expectations? I'm putting them on my new spouses. I'm putting them on their shoulders for them to carry. Now, now what could these expectations be? I mean, it could be many different things. It could be the, the home that you feel like you deserve. It could be a, a swole bank account. Uh, it could be having tons and tons of kids. It could be having tons and tons of sex. I mean, it, it could be all kinds of things that we're bringing into this marriage relationship. And these are all the things that are in my box of desire. And I get married, and now they're in my box of expectations. And I'm putting them on you, and I want you to fulfill all these expectations for me. But here's what happens next. A reality sets in. And reality is different than our expectations many times, and, and also these desires that, that we have. The reality is, you don't have the home you think you deserved. You're living in a studio apartment. And you don't have a swole bank account. You have a swole credit card debt that you're trying to pay down. And you don't have all those kids running around. Maybe you have no kids. And there's not a lot of sex that's happening. It's maybe no sex that's going on. And you figure out that, wow, this is my actual reality. And when my desires aren't being met, these expectations I have for my spouse, if they're not being fulfilled, we can easily go into this funk because our marriage is not what we expected it to be. It's not what we dreamed about it to be. But if you think about it, here's the deal. What this marriage has become, it's become all about me. This is all about my expectations and those expectations have become something that has become a distraction within my marriage. We read this verse uh, early on in the series, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife in such a way that the two become one person. And, and so we, we read this passage right here in Genesis chapter 2. And, uh, and if you think about it, Scripture understands that you've got these Two individuals, and marriage brings them together as, as one. And yet, I want you to think about maybe your marriage or marriages that you know. How many of them function as two people continuing to be two people? Think about that. And in this kind of marriage, there's lots of my statements, right? This is my house. This is my bank account. This is my room. This is my car. This is my life. What we're doing is we're only looking out for one person. I am looking out for me. And my expectation is I want you to fulfill all of my desires. I want you to fulfill all of my expectations. Why? Because this relationship, this marriage is all about me. I love what Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, starting with verse 3. He says this, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, 
but take an interest in others too. In your marriage, who's the focus on? Is it on you or is it on your spouse? Are you pushing your spouse to fulfill all of your expectations? And if they don't fulfill those expectations in this relationship, you don't feel like this relationship is, is worth anything to you. Or, as we see those words from Paul, are, are you serving your spouse? Are, are you giving all of you to them? Where you're not being selfish, where you're not looking out for you, where you're, you've got this humble spirit where you're putting them first. And you're doing everything you can to fulfill their interest. Some of us will say, and I've heard this said often, that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. A 50-50 marriage means that you are in a marriage of compromise. And you do not want to have a marriage that's full of compromise. Where you say, hey, I'm going to meet you halfway, and if you meet me halfway, we'll be able to make this work. That's not how marriage works, and that's not what's intended for marriage. Marriage is, I'm going to give you 100% of me, and I hope that you will give 100% of, of you to me. It's, I'm going to give all of me, you give all of you, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to put you first, I'm going to serve you with all that I have, hoping, and you can't really control it all the time, that, that your spouse will do the same thing. Are we giving all that we can to our marriage and to our spouse? Or do we have this distraction of our expectations that keeps bringing this tension around? Well, what can we do? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Here's a couple of questions if this is you. Question number one, what are the expectations I have for my marriage right now? Because here's the deal, we all have them. If you're married, you have them. If you're not married yet, and you're thinking about getting married in the future, hey, guess what? You have expectations of what you think that marriage is going to look like. What are those expectations? Question number two, where are my expectations causing problems within my marriage? You can know those expectations, but do you know how they're influencing and impacting this marriage that you have? Where do you find that they are causing problems? And here's your next step. Figure out three ways you can serve your spouse this week so you can make sure they are a priority in your marriage and not you. But here's the kicker. Don't just figure them out and think about them. Actually, go make them happen, okay? Go do those things. And again, we, we talked about this in the first week of our series. Don't let your expectations be a distraction in, in marriage. And then here's the last one. MWD number four, family of origin. I will tell you what I believe is one of the biggest distractions in marriage. It's not kids, it's not work, it's not finances, it's not past romantic relationships, it's not my expectations, it's your family of origin. Our staff's going through a book right now called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's written by Pete Scazzaro, and here's what he puts in there. He says, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. You ever thought about that? It's pretty true. Jesus may live in our heart, but, but grandpa and mom and dad and siblings, aunts and uncles, cousins, they, they, they all live in our bones because that is our family of origin. And here's the deal. Your family of origin has incredible, incredible influence over your relationships today, any relationship, but specifically when it comes to marriage. 
What was it like in your home growing up? What was your, your parents, what was it, their marriage like? What about your grandparents? What were your grandparents like? What was their marriage like? See, all of those connections we have with our family, our family of origin, they leave marks on us. And for some of us, uh, it goes beyond marks. For some of us, they leave some pretty, pretty deep scars. Because whatever you've experienced, whatever you, 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 yeah, whatever you experienced growing up, those things, they will continue to impact you today, good or bad. I'm not saying family of origin is always bad. There's good stuff there, but many times it's some of those bad things that we find are coming up and are, are distractions in, in our marriage right now. Uh, for instance, um, just kind of using Kara and me as an example, um, I grew up uh, in a pastor's home. Uh, PK, uh, I know we have a few PKs, missionary kids uh, here at The Journey, and, and some of you know exactly what this was like. Um, uh, our, our family wasn't perfect, although kind of the expectation was you're the pastor's family, everything was supposed to be perfect, but it wasn't. Uh, my dad was a workaholic. Uh, I hardly ever saw my dad, and um, it was just kind of the Lord's work in those days. Uh, pastors were expected to work crazy hours, and my, my dad did just that. So he was out of the house quite, quite a bit. Uh, my mom ended up, you know, she basically was raising three boys on her own to some degree, again, and <laughs> I, f I feel bad for her as I see some of you that have three or multiple boys that I apologize to her quite, quite often. But here's what I do know. There was a lot of love in our home. And, and yeah, my dad was a workaholic. He was gone a lot, but he, he loved us. Um, I, I knew my parents loved each other. They expressed it openly in front of us, which was definitely gross growing up and seeing that happen. <laughs> but it wasn't a perfect marriage. I, and they're 50 years in now, and I can still tell you by watching, like, it's still not a perfect marriage. But there was something healthy there. And, and I look at my grandparents, and uh, my two sets of grandparents were uh, married to the same person their whole life, and uh, were followers of Christ. And, and so I, I had a pretty healthy experience. Not all healthy but pretty healthy experience with my family of origin. My wife, on the other hand, her upbringing was very different. She actually grew up here locally. She graduated from Hayfield Secondary School. Her family moved here from Ohio back in the 1980s because there was no work in Ohio and her dad got a job down here in DC. And so they moved down here. Um, her dad uh, climbed up the corporate ladder, uh, was very successful in the commercial real estate arena here, working for one of the big property management companies here in town. And that meant making more money, uh, getting better titles, uh, which mean, meant for them bigger and better homes. And I don't know if that was kind of the norm back then, but it was like every four or five years they were moving. They weren't moving away. They were moving like three or four miles down the street because they were moving to a, a bigger and better home. Kara's mom, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. She had five kids to take care of, and uh, so she was at home doing that. From the outside, when you would look at Kara's family, it was the perfect family. Uh, everyone behaved in public. Uh, they, everybody did what they were told to do. Uh, everyone said the right things. Uh, they always looked good when they were out in public. They played a part. I can tell you, inside that home, and I'm going to be blunt, it literally was a living hell for them. Uh, dad was controlling. Um, and not only that, dad was abusive. 
And when I use that word abusive, yes, you can let your mind go to any kind of abuse imaginable. That was the home that she grew up in. And as you can imagine, everybody in that home lived in fear of, of their, their dad. You think about your family of origin. And you begin to think how that influences you because I can tell you our family of origin affected our marriage. We, we both experienced very different families, but that experience influenced our, our marriage. The things we said, uh, the things that, uh, or the, the way that we, we, we talked back to each other or we didn't respond, how we responded, our actions, our inactions, so much of that in the beginning point of our, our relationship and the beginning, beginning point of our, our marriage was all influenced by our families of origin. Again, don't mishear me. There can be really good things we learn from our family of origin, but there can also be some bad things there. And I think our family of origin, if we're not careful, can be one of the biggest distractions that we face. Here's a couple of questions for you. What negative things from my family of origin do I need to set aside? As you think about your family of origin, what are some things that you know you experience? You're like, I got to get rid of that. I got I to move that out of this relationship. And question number two, what can I do to separate myself from my family of origin so I can focus on my marriage? Hey, look, you're adults. If you're married, you're not stuck to your family of origin. They don't have to have still this, this powerful influence on, on you and your life, especially if you've had some pretty horrible experiences. And it may be time to adult up and kind of cut some of those ties. I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm saying cut some of those ties and some of those things that may be holding you back. And here's what I talk to you about next steps. Next steps. Here's the first thing. We're going to do this this week with our staff. should be interesting. A genogram. Genogram. Um, Take the time to look at your family of origin, your family tree, and go back about three or four generations and, and do the, the diagram there. Connect all, all the dots. And under the names, write in, write in the good things. Like, hey, I remember this about this person, my grandparent, they were great. But even put in the, the, the rough things, the, the tough things, because you're going to find out a whole lot more about yourself when you just kind of sit back and you look at this family tree. You're going to see why you are the way you are or why your family of origin is still influencing you to this day. So just take the time to kind of go through this practice and see where that leads you. And then the second thing I would say, I'm going to throw another one in here, counseling. Um, if you're not dealing with your family of origin issues, you're always going to have rough relationships and your marriage is going to struggle because of it. Why not take the time to have someone who's an expert, a professional, to sit down in front of you and give you some guidance, give you some direction as you work through the family of origin that may be a huge distraction in your marriage. As we kind of think through these MWDs, these married while distracted items that we've talked about, it all boils down to one thing. This is all about protecting your marriage. And we protect so much stuff in our life, but do we do everything we can to protect that relationship? And the best way that we can protect that relationship, we can protect our marriage is understanding our distractions and then putting our focus in the right place again we talked about that first week priority number one should be God that relationship that connection with Jesus priority number two should be our spouse and those distractions they they're going to keep us from, from doing that 
Are we willing to take the steps that we need to take to make sure our priorities are in the right place? That's why I love what Joshua says to the Israelites in Joshua 24, 14 through 15. He's led Israel to the promised land. And at the end, he brings everybody together and he retells their history and how they got to that point. And then he asks them this question. He says this to him. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, my family is going to stay focused on God. I'm going to stay focused on God. And he challenges the Israelites, like, hey, what are you going to do? And they say, yeah, 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 we're going to do that, that too. If you're married, you get to choose. You get to choose right now the direction of that marriage. You can choose to continue to follow those distractions that are there and let them influence you in the ways that they are and really overtake that relationship and probably at some point in that relationship. Or we can choose that our home, our marriage will serve God and that we will do all we can to follow Jesus. And I believe when we do that, it'll bring about the marriage that God has intended for us. In this series, we've been talking about these rumble strips these warning signs for marriage. May we be a people, if we follow Jesus, and if we are married, we're prepared and ready for those rumble strips when they come. But through it all, that our focus can always be on Jesus.